Well, as we turn our attention right now to the Gospel of John, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We are continuing in our journey through this Gospel. Uh, Next Sunday, uh, Bobby will bring uh, the Word for us, and so look forward to uh, what he has. Um, He is a deep, deep thinker in the Bible, and I'm always... uh, um, well, praise to the Lord Jesus for it, but I'm always impressed at, at how he, he shares from the scriptures. And uh, I know he, he loves the Bible, and so you will, you will be blessed next, next Sunday. All right, let's look at John chapter 19, uh, verses, uh, our text is 1 through 16. 1 through 16. Hear God's word. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. Pilate heard this statement. He was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. That was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is God's word. Would you uh, join me in a prayer? Seek the, the Spirit's help in illuminating this text to us and applying it to our hearts. Father in heaven, this is your truth. And we do well to submit to it, not only with our ears, but also in our hearts and in our minds. The word preached is is how you have, Father, have determined to make known your word, at least one of the ways. And so, Lord, as the servant of this word now, I'm asking for an extra measure of grace to proclaim Christ 
Lord, to bring out of the text what you want us to see. And Lord, to find that application in our lives for how we should respond. Lord, I know a mere man cannot accomplish the things of God. And and so we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, take this word, take the true things and drive them into us. And because these words are living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, they will accomplish exactly what you determined to do. And so, Lord, we look forward to that being accomplished in our lives and in our church. And in all of this, we ask that the Lord Jesus would be glorified and we pray in his name. Amen. You know, how you, uh, how you tell a story, it reveals a great deal about the message that you are looking to convey. Now, I know this is a flawed comparison, but, but think of how, if, if you saw the movie, how Mel Gibson portrayed the, the events that we're seeing here in his, in his film, The Passion of the Christ. Compare that to how John uh, depicts these events in this gospel. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm not necessarily recommending it to you, uh, but the movie depicts the utter brutality of the flogging and the brutality of Jesus' death. It is horrific. But reading John, he seems to be kind of matter-of-fact about Jesus' sufferings. Look at, look at verses 1 and 2. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. That's it. He describes something that the soldiers did to, to further that mocking. Then he says, soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Very simple statement of a fact. Verse 17, this is beyond where we are this morning. The next thing after this section. So they took Jesus. He went out bearing his cross to a place called the place of the skull, there they crucified him with two others. John doesn't seem to be interested in in giving us the gory details about Jesus' suffering. Mel Gibson wanted to show us all of that horror, but John doesn't seem to want to. You see, he is far more interested in the things that are said about Jesus, by Jesus, and others far more interested in those things than the things that were done to Jesus. It's an important historical truth that he was flogged. It's an important historical truth that Jesus was crucified. But leading up to that, it seems that John has a different agenda here. You see, Mel Gibson wants us to pity Jesus. John doesn't want us to pity Jesus. John wants us to revere him. From the beginning of this gospel, John's objective has been presenting Jesus to us as the Christ so that we know that as the Christ, he is the Son of God, so that we, the reader, we who hear this word, may believe that he is who he said he is. And as a result of truly believing, have eternal life in his name. Now, this Bible section, that section of John that we read a moment ago, it focuses on the, the final hours before Jesus was crucified. And the things that are said by Jesus' tormentors and his accusers 
Though they are dripping with contempt and mocking, they reveal important truths about Jesus. Truths about Jesus that, that cannot be hidden. And they, in fact, important to reveal an important truth about themselves that they simply cannot hide. And so I take it that the soldiers, that, that Pilate, that, that the Jewish religious leaders become unwitting truth-tellers in this scene. And here's what is revealed by these unwitting truth-tellers. Five things that are revealed. And these won't surprise you. The first thing that they reveal. And again, from their lips, from their expressions, that Jesus is king. Second, that Jesus was innocent. Third, that Jesus was humble. Four, that Jesus was the son of God. And they reveal this, though they don't understand it. They reveal that rejecting Jesus is rejecting God. So Jesus is king. Jesus is innocent. Jesus was humble, the son of God, and that rejecting Jesus is rejecting God. I know, five points. Quite alarming, they will be more brief than normal. Um, first of all, Jesus is king. First thing that is revealed. Now, this uh, Independence Day uh, celebration this weekend, um, it celebrates the birth of this nation, which began as a, as I understand from history, a protest against the tyranny of King George III. And so for some 244 years, this nation has mostly thrived under a form of government that regards the idea of a monarchy as something far less than ideal, right? We likely abhor the idea of a king ruling over this nation. And in fact, any time a president becomes, uh, maybe uses too much of executive orders, he is accused of being imperial, right? We don't like that. That's not really how this nation was formed. But the truth of the matter is this, that the best form of government for humanity is one where God rules and where we, his people, willingly and joyfully submit. As the all-powerful creator, as the all-powerful sovereign God has always been in charge. God has always ruled over all, whether people have recognized him or not. God's gracious plan for the eternal benefit of his own people has always been to reveal and confirm his omnibenevolent, his all-loving rule over us for our eternal joy. And from the beginning of creation, God's plan was always to send his son to rule over creation, to rule over us, so that every knee would bow to him, that every tongue would confess to him that he is Lord. Now, as we look at our story here, as John lays it out in this section, Pilate, uh, in, in the previous chapter, we dealt with this last week, Pilate had already questioned Jesus about his kingdom. That's verses, uh, chapter 18, 38 to 40. And he had now, in the beginning of chapter 19, he just simply handed Jesus over to the soldiers for a flogging. Now, scholars are divided on the extent of that flogging. Let's just conclude that it's brutal. In some cases, it, it is an ugly scene where the, the skin is ripped off. But John doesn't seem to, to be concerned with telling us the, the brutality of it, as I've already stated. 
Pilate simply hands him over. Pilate has no regard for Jesus as a king because Jesus had already told him, my kingdom is not of this world. That was in the last chapter. And and it would also seem that Pilate has little regard for the Jewish leaders who are bringing Jesus to Pilate. And, And I take it from his interaction with these religious leaders that Pilate might even be seeking to annoy them or possibly even provoke them because he has contempt for them. Now, when the Bible describes Jesus as the Christ or Messiah, it's a title, and I think you know this, but by way of reminder, it's a title uh, indicating anointed one, anointed of God. And that title was anchored in the promise made way back in the Old Testament, the promise made to the patriarch Judah, that when he heard the inspired blessing from his father Jacob about the future of his own tribe, there would be a ruler, and and I'll give you the words, the scepter, Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. You see what, what has been predicted is what God intended to do all along, that there was this man this Messiah, this anointed one. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The idea of the Christ or Messiah, it's, it's, it's encapsulated or, or, or derived from the promise made to King David when the Lord said, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever David's descendant, David being from the tribe of Judah, David's descendant would be that anointed one, that Messiah, that king. Now, of course, these soldiers, they have, and Pilate, of course, has no regard for Jesus as king, but they simply act on behalf of the one that they know, Caesar, and Caesar's representative here, Pilate. And so what do the soldiers do? They mock Jesus. They mock him with what is true. They say, hail, king of the Jews. Hail, king of the Jews. The soldiers are mocking him with what is true. He is the Messiah. He is the king of the Jews. And so they they put this crown of thorns on him. They uh, dress him in a purple royal robe, mockingly. But he is indeed the only one before them who is worthy of a crown. And he is the only one before them who is worthy of a royal robe. And Pilate, see down in verse 14, pushes him out there in front of the people again. Behold your king. You see, out of Jesus' tormentors, out of their their mouths, comes the, the undeniable eternal truth that Jesus is king. And there is coming a day when Pilate will see it. There's coming a day when these soldiers will see it. Now John, in, his, in, his la- in the last book of the Bible, in the Revelation, John gives us a glimpse. He got a glimpse of that day when that would be apparent to all creation. And he shares that vision that's recorded in Revelation 19, 16, on his robe And on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Jesus is king. So how do you regard Jesus today? Do you bow to him as your king? His enemies unwittingly declare the truth. But we know, as his people, we know the truth, but do we behave each day? Knowing that Jesus is king, do we behave in a way that that reveals that? I have to ask myself the same question. Does Jesus rule over me? Do I recognize his authority over my life? Not just, not just saying the words and coming to church and singing. No, do, do I recognize that in, in every moment, in, in terms of what I choose to do, in the ways in which I have conversations? Do I regard myself as a subject of King Jesus? Do I, do I know that he is in control? Every day, almost every day, I pray, God, what's going on in the world? But he is in control. Do I, do I worry that, that the Lord Jesus is not ruling over creation now, even as things seem to be a mess? Do I doubt him? Jesus is king out of the mouth of the tormentors. And if they if what they're saying is true about Jesus, certainly in my heart and in my actions and in our hearts and actions, we must honor him as the king that he is. Second, Jesus was innocent. Innocent. Now, as best I can understand it, the American justice system is the, in, in, the, in this system, the, the job of the prosecution is to provide sufficient evidence in order to prove guilt related to the charge that's being brought beyond reasonable doubt. That's how they do that. So if there is doubt about the veracity of the charge within the bounds of reason, then the defendant should be declared not guilty. We all get this. I love uh, drama that's legal, like courtroom stuff. That just, I, I'm always like that kind of entertainment. But because of this, uh, this standard, we know that this is true. Many a truly guilty criminal have been declared not guilty by a jury. And I think the one that probably most people agree is that that famous trial of O.J. Simpson, right? They delivered a not guilty verdict, but it seems that people do not regard him as not guilty. Well, the law regarded him as not guilty. I would say that the people do not regard him as innocent as related to the killing of Nicole Brown, his wife. Now, that language... That language, when we think of not guilty and innocent, that's, that's theologically important. You see, no one who has ever been put on trial, no one has been absolutely and completely innocent before God. Oh, maybe they're not guilty of that crime, but there are some crime before Almighty God that they're guilty of. No one has ever been innocent before God except one. Now, when Pilate said about Jesus, verse 4, he said, I find no guilt in him. Truer words had never been spoken. Now, I get it that Pilate was speaking contextually about, about Rome. As related to Rome, Jesus, in his mind, was not guilty of any crime against Rome. 
But what he said, though he did not understand it, was universally true. There was no guilt of any kind in Jesus. And when we think about who he is, we have to get this. This is where the world doesn't understand the message. We, we look at each other and we see various flaws. But there isn't a soul on the face of the earth who, who could confidently say, I have lived flawlessly from the day I was born. Not a soul would do that. Because you know that there would be a record of something. But Jesus was different. There was no guilt of any kind in Jesus. He never sinned as an infant. Jesus never sinned as a child. Jesus never sinned against the siblings in the household of Joseph. Jesus never sinned against Mary. He never sinned when he went to the synagogue as a child or, or playing with other children. He never sinned as he helped Joseph as a carpenter's apprentice. Jesus never sinned in his dealings with anyone. He was upright in all his ways. But more than that, and what is impossible for us to even imagine, Jesus never sinned in his intentions. Jesus never had a sinful thought. He never had a bitter thought, a prideful thought. He never had a lustful thought, greedy or selfish thought. Jesus' character was holy and thoroughly, perfectly pure. Now, can you think of a day, even a, even a single day, when you absolutely, absolutely know that you lived just one day perfectly. Just one day. Not a single moment when you were selfish or prideful or lazy or defensive. And if you thought you had that, let me just help you here. If you thought you perfectly avoided such sins, chances are you were self-righteous. <laughs> right? That's how that works. Now, Jesus' innocence here is not just an admirable thing. It was in keeping with his identity as the Son of God. And furthermore, it was essential for us. Jesus identifies with us. And so he advocates for us. We're told in Hebrews 4.15 about his sinless nature, okay? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our, sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Now, if we stop there, we miss an important truth. Yet without sin. And because he is without sin, that makes him. This is why it's essential for us. I mean, he would deny his very character as the son of God if he were to sin. We get that. But here's what we get out of this. You see, in Jesus' perfection, in Jesus' absolute, pure innocence, he substitutes for us. And a verse that I quote so often but love so much, Paul says from 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin. And here's his innocence. Who knew no sin? He was made to be sin. The one who knew no sin, Jesus, knew no sin, was made to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, unless Jesus 
was absolutely pure and undefiled in his own person. He could not be offered before God as the one sufficient, perfect substitute for us. But because he was sinless in every way, was perfect in every way, when our sin was heaped upon him at the cross that he is about to go to in our text, that made it possible for you and I by faith in him, to become the very righteousness of God, to be counted righteous in God's sight. He substitutes for us. His innocence is absolutely essential. And Pilate declared it. Peter says, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You weren't bought back with with money, but you were bought back from those futile ways with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus' innocence made him the only acceptable sacrifice for you and me so that we could be called and declared righteous in God's sight. Third, the third truth that comes out Jesus was humble. Jesus was humble. Of course, these, these, uh, these descriptions of Jesus are not foreign to us, but, but what is, uh, remind you again, what is startling is that they come out of the mouths of Jesus' enemies and his tormentors. The humility of Jesus. Well, we understand humility. There's a kind of humble, self-effacing demeanor that has great social value, and I think we're all familiar with this. Because we all get it, no one, no one likes the boastful grandstander. Even boastful grandstanders don't like boastful grandstanders because they don't realize they're boastful grandstanders. But we get it. There's a social value in humility. But I think so often, as, as we are inclined to do, we even get humility wrong. There's a new word that's been coined in social media. Uh, it's called the humble brag. Are you familiar with this? In seeking to be humble... We end up being prideful. It's that statement that you make. Uh, you, you write it or speak it. You boast about something while at the same time managing to couch what you're saying in a kind of self-deprecating way. It's the humble brag. It's all over social media. So while we understand its value, it's hard to get it right. But, but Jesus was truly humble through and through. And interestingly, Pilate tried to use that fact as a, as a means to assuage his own conscience and have Jesus released. You see in our text, he's, he's trying to get them to, to just back off. You don't want to crucify him because Pilate didn't want to do it. Now, now, Pilate had had Jesus flogged. He is now convinced in his own mind that he had done nothing deserving of death. So in the flogging, and I'm taking it here that he had a purpose in this, Pilate thought that perhaps presenting Jesus to the Jewish leaders in the humble state that he was would cause them to relent. Verse 5, look at it. Behold the man. Now, what's Pilate doing there? What's he saying, behold the man? Because of his state, because he had been beaten up, because he'd been flogged. He's kind of saying this, look at this man. He's been beaten to a pulp. He's not fighting. He's not reviling or cursing. He's the one you want to put to death? Really? What threat is he to you? You should pity the man, not kill him. Pilate pities him. He's saying, 
Jewish leaders, you should, you should just pity him. Well, these Jewish leaders, they're, they're hell-bent on doing away with Jesus. And, and it's obvious to Pilate that they, it's going to be a difficult job to turn them back. But what does, what does humility look like? True humility. Well, it looks like Jesus here. Now, Peter reflected on what he saw. You know, Peter's a, an eyewitness to what's going on here. And later in his letter, some 30 years later, he reflected back on what he saw in this moment. Peter said in his first letter, 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In these moments, the Lord Jesus entrusted himself to his Father. In the same way, we, brothers and sisters in Christ, we demonstrate humility when we entrust ourselves to the Father. And the way we do that is by having the attitude of Jesus. And without an attitude of humility that Jesus had, without that attitude of humility before the Lord, there is no way to be saved. And here's the important thing as we look at Jesus' humility. The means by which salvation is secured by Jesus, namely his humility, being willing to die, being willing to be punished, the means by which salvation is secured by Jesus is the very means by which it applies to us. Our salvation was secured by Jesus humbling himself. Paul says in Philippians, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You do not get the benefit of salvation in Jesus. You do not get the benefit of his death on the cross for your sins apart from humbling yourself. You must come before the Lord knowing that you have done nothing worth saving that you have done nothing to commend yourself to God, that your sin is what condemns you to an eternity apart from God, we must come before him in humility, recognizing that the only way we are welcomed into the presence of God is by trusting wholly and completely in Jesus. Not Jesus plus something I can offer him on the side. Because we're not going to stand before God someday and say, hey, look, Lord, look what I did for you. Oh, and by the way, thank you for sending your son to die for me. But, but I've got this list of things here. Check it out. No. It's garbage. All we have, all we have is what Jesus accomplished at the cross. Four, Jesus is the Son of God. 
the religious leaders goaded Pilate with the truth about Jesus. They're trying to get him crucified. Pilate wants to let them go. We have a law, they say, according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. Now they think he's blaspheming God because they don't believe in him. They don't believe Jesus. But the charge that these religious leaders are making against Jesus is absolutely true. He has made himself to be the son of God. He has presented himself that way. In fact, that's what John said at the beginning. And you can see this if you look at the very first chapter of the Gospel of John. You see these themes repeated over and over again. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. He is God. And we learn that from Jesus. We learn that from people who encounter him. And now we learn that from his accusers. They declare it to be true. Even though they don't believe it, they declare it. And it is true. Now, Jesus never hid this truth, did he? Jesus, I'll remind you, he healed that lame man at the pool of Bethesda on a Sabbath day. The the religious leaders came to question him. Jesus answered them, my father is working until now. I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And the Jewish leaders were correct. The law against blasphemy was very clear, punishable by stoning, Leviticus 24. But of course, that law only applies if Jesus is in fact not the Son of God. Just before this, John doesn't record it. Jesus had been with Caiaphas. This, is, this happened just before he was handed over to Pilate. The high priest asked him, that is Jesus, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is the son of God. And that is that one simple fact, maybe, maybe a fact among many, that is absolutely essential to understand. You see, Jesus is not just a good man. Some people say he was a great teacher. He's not just a nice guy who helps some poor people. He is the very son of God in human flesh. And when we encounter the son of God in human flesh, what should we do? We should worship him. Finally, rejecting Jesus is rejecting God. This is the last thing that, the last truth that that comes out of the the mouths of of Jesus' accusers and mockers. The reason that Jesus is being mocked and tortured and delivered up to be crucified, it was because it was planned before creation. So let's, let's not forget the fact that while human history is unfolding, and people are doing things out of jealousy and rage to get Jesus crucified, this was God's plan even before creation. But the reason that the religious leaders are doing it is because that they think, they think in their own minds they're helping the kingdom of God, at least as they see it. But in truth, they rejected God. They rejected the very God that they said they are seeking because they have rejected Jesus. Now, stated already, and we can see this through the passage, Pilate doesn't want to crucify Jesus. He does not want to do it. He's got problems with it. It doesn't make sense to him. But he's weak. He's a man of very little principle, and all he wants to do is just keep the peace. 
that he's already offered to release to them Jesus. According to the Passover custom, you can let go of somebody. Here, I'll give you the king of the Jews. They don't, they don't want any of that, the religious leaders. So Pilate comes up with another plan. Well, why, why don't you just, verse 6, take him yourself, crucify him. I, I don't find any guilt in him. Verse 12, and I'll read the text again. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out. And this is so telling of their hearts. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Well, since when did these Jewish leaders care about being Caesar's friend? And he's even using his own position against him. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Oh, well, suddenly they're fans of Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, verse 13, he brought out Jesus and sat him down in the judgment seat. Pilate cares about what Rome thinks of him. And he is no way in his mind that he wants to appear as opposing his own emperor. But he just sees this as a mess. He tries one more time. Verse 14. It's the day of preparation. John gives us the context of the Passover. About the sixth hour. He says to the Jews, it's one last attempt. Behold your king. They cried out these religious leaders, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, again, a pleading, shall I crucify your king? Now, put yourself into the sandals of these chief priests. At this point, they're willing to say absolutely anything to have Jesus killed. So what do they do? They confer together to force Pilate to crucify Jesus. And in that doing, they utter the darkness of their own hearts. Verse 15. Chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. No king but Caesar. Is, is that what they really mean? In this moment, in this moment before Pilate, when they were supposed to be, these Jews, a witness to the nations, to, to be a light to the nations, to, to declare the goodness of God, they say, with all of the confidence, we have no king but Caesar. Right there, when they had an opportunity to witness to God's goodness, they set the Lord their God aside and they say, we prefer Caesar. Here's where the story comes full circle. John said this at the beginning he came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. And listen, what those chief priests did, what those that the Jewish leading ruling council did in declaring they have no king but Caesar, this is our default position. When we first take a breath, even in fact before when we're conceived in our mother's wombs, we are born rebellious. We don't naturally want to acknowledge rule over us. We want to rule over us. This is what Adam said in his heart back in the Garden of Eden, didn't he? He listened to the voice of the serpent. Did God really say? He thought it would be a good thing to take charge of his own life, to, to throw off the rule of God and be his own boss. And if not for the grace of God, if not for the grace of God, we would be just like those religious leaders, would we not? 
declaring ourselves king. But because of the grace of God, we've had our eyes opened to Jesus. And we've been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we've seen Jesus crucified and risen. And we fight against that that self-rule every day, don't we? We fight it. But Jesus came to release us from that bondage to sin and death and the ultimate consequences of that sin, which is hell. And because you believed in him, he raised you to life to give you power over sin in the present and the hope of eternal life. Those who reject Jesus reject God. There's no middle ground. You cannot say, I worship God, but reject Jesus. To embrace Jesus is to embrace him as the king that he is, to honor him, to submit to him. To embrace Jesus is to acknowledge that he was perfectly innocent, the only substitute for us. To acknowledge Jesus is to acknowledge that he was humble and to respond in like humility to what he has done for us, knowing that we bring nothing at all to the Lord. To embrace Jesus is to know he's not just a good man, but he is the very divine son of God who was with God in the beginning, whoever was and whoever will be. Rejecting Jesus as king, rejecting him as innocent, rejecting him as humble, and the Son of God is rejecting God. And that's a harsh message. If you reject him on his terms, you put yourself in the place of one who is condemned. And this is a message that our world needs to hear, doesn't it? So in as much as we can, with whatever breath the Lord gives to us, as we gather together, I hope and pray that the fact that Jesus is king, that he is innocent, that he was humble, that he is the son of God, that that will radiate from us and that people will turn to him in repentance and faith. May it be so. May God strengthen us to honor Jesus for who he is. And may we, as his people, not be unwitting truth-tellers like these enemies of the cross, but joyful, enthusiastic truth-tellers For the glory of the Son of God, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for for how Jesus has been presented to us. Lord, teach us. Teach us increasingly to submit to him as king. To delight in what was accomplished at the cross because he was innocent. To likewise respond to him in humility, knowing that to be proud is is standing in the place of opposition against you. And Lord, to be those people that worship him with every breath that is in us, to long to give him praise. May that be true of us. And may our witness radiate out from this place. We ask it for the glory of Jesus. Amen.